You are listening to HHS bonus content from the Hillbilly Horror Stories Network. This bonus content is released during the week for your listening pleasure while awaiting the release of Sunday's actual Hillbilly Horror Stories episode. All bonus content will be listed as HHS Presents or HHS Midweek while the actual Hillbilly Horror Stories episodes will have only an episode number and the title listed, for example, 187, The Kentucky Vampires. Those episodes are a longer deep dive into a particular subject. If you are new to the show and the bonuses aren't your style, get the full-length episode to try. Enjoy. Hey guys, welcome to episode 19 of Paranormal Encounters. And we've got one of our military stories coming on tonight that I like so much. This one takes place in Afghanistan and features Pete telling us the story. Yeah, we're so glad to have him on. Yeah, and this was, uh, like I said, this is going to be a fun one. So, all right. I will kick the night off with my little paranormal story. Though it didn't happen to me, I'm just reading it. Mm-hmm. So just make sure we're clear. This happened to me when I was in high school about 26 years ago. I remember it like it happened yesterday. I went to high school on the Choctaw Reservation in Pearl River in Philadelphia, Mississippi. The Choctaw Reservation is one of the most active places for spirits that I've ever known. The reservation consists of seven communities. On Friday afternoons, the kids who lived in the other communities were bused back home for the weekend. I came from an out-of-state tribe, the Chittimacha, so I always stayed the weekend with the others who were from out-of-state. The dormitory was very big and scary place to me. At that time, I was very afraid of spirits. Now, knowing more about it, I'm not. On this particular weekend, how I would manage to be in the room all alone is still a mystery to me. I usually made sure that I was in a room with my brother or my cousins. When I was young, my brothers and my cousins used to scare me and tell me that monsters were going to come and get me at night. So I would pull the covers up over my head, thinking that if the monsters couldn't see me, well, they couldn't get to me. On this particular night, I was awakened by fighting for the covers. I was trying to pull them over my head as something very strong was trying to pull them off of me. I had my eyes shut tight with the covers under my chin, struggling to get them over my head. I was terrified, and I didn't know what to do. After a few minutes, I decided that I was going to open my eyes and see what it was that was trying to pull the covers off. When I opened my eyes, the covers fell back onto me and the bed, and this huge, smoky white hand went swoop, like it was being sucked into a vacuum. I was so afraid that I jumped out of bed and ran into the hall where my brother and my cousins were sleeping. They were all asleep, of course. It was the middle of the night. I ran into their room, screaming about this big white hand and not making much sense to them at all. They put me off and said it was just a dream. But I know with every fiber of my being that it was not a dream. At that time, I was very afraid of it. But now I feel that it's a good presence, and I feel that maybe there was something I was supposed to learn from this. Like I said earlier, I've never forgotten it, and I've only talked about it over the years to a very few people. I feel in my heart that when I am supposed to know what it was or what it, what it meant, Creator will let me know. If anyone else has ever had this experience like this, I would sure like to hear about it. And that's from Walter Two Feathers in Sherrington, Louisiana. Ooh, I'd like to know what that is, too. <laughs> that's really scary. I am not into things yanking my covers off. No. <laughs> <laughs> What you got for us? I've got 
something that says, I'm going to break something. <laughs> there you go. All Is right. it Limp Biscuit? Limp Biscuit. <laughs> <laughs> when I was 11 years old, my mother decided to tell me the truth about her sickness. She had metastatic liposarcoma. I had already known that the cancer was bad, but what she told me was that it was her death. Imagine the shock of those words and that she needed to me to be strong. I remember sitting in her hospital bed and crying into an old pillow. Finally, the tears were all gone. I looked my mother straight in the face and said, Mom, I need you to promise me that when you die, you will break something that cannot be broken. It has to be within a week or two of your death. If nothing breaks, then that means you went to hell. Oh. Damn. That's, Damn. That's a little pressure there. <laughs> Needless to say, my mother promised to do what she could to prove that heaven existed. Two weeks after the speech on January 21st, 1991, my mother died in a hospice. I stayed home the next day from school. I was in a daze and decided to make myself a cup of Nestle Quick. I removed a purple shatter-resistant mug from the cupboard placed it on the middle of the table, and turned around to open the refrigerator. As I went to pour the milk into the mug, I saw the mug do a flip off the center of the table. It hit the floor and shattered. I looked at the mess on the floor and then looked out the kitchen window with a happy smile. My mother had sent an immediate response. I told this story to my three siblings and two agreed that it was indeed an angelic message from our mom. All I knew at the time was that I was able to go back to school and deal with teen angst and not be afraid of dying. From time to time, sometimes I feel that my mother is still watching over her brood. A certain smell of cilantro will have me looking over my shoulder. My mother and I were very close even though we did not have a long time to get to know each other. She is always in my thoughts and I hope to see her again soon. This is from Renata in Daly City, California. Oh, that's a good story. Yeah. Well. I would, that's like a weird request. I mean, not so much weird that she's gone and I guess maybe just let her know she's okay, but just the other part. What about the? The hell part. The going to hell. Oh, gosh. <laughs> Yeah, I would think that there might be a few other options, like maybe you're in purgatory or maybe you can't send messages. Yeah. You know, like even when you go to jail, you only get to make one phone call. That's true. So. That's true. All right, guys, let's listen to this story from Pete. Hey, guys, I've got former member of our military. We've got Pete from Georgia on it, and uh, we know we love our military stories that come out. And this one may be one of the best military ones we've had and from over in Afghanistan. So first of all, Pete, thank you for your service and welcome to the show. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Glad to be here. And you said you've only been listening for about three weeks. About that, yeah. Currently on episode, I think, 52. Okay. So have you heard the uh, anniversary episode yet with Andrea Perrin? No, no. That's actually the next one coming up. The uh, last episode I heard was about the Rain Man. Oh, okay, yeah. Okay, good, good, good. Well, I'm just going to turn it completely over to you, Pete, and let you tell us what happened over in Afghanistan. Uh, I appreciate it. Well, uh, let me start off by saying when 
prior to this incident, I was probably the world's biggest skeptic. I didn't have anything in the way of beliefs of ghosts or Bigfoot or, you know, the paranormal Mothman or anything like that. It's funny how one night can change your entire outlook on life. So anyway, I'll just get into it. So I was a combat medic in an infantry unit. We were deployed to Afghanistan. This is in 2008, 2009. We were actually on a, for lack of a better term, search and destroy mission. It was a three-day mounted patrol, and it was just prior to the 2000 and, I want to say 2009, presidential election over in Afghanistan. And we were tasked with mopping up pockets of resistance, Taliban, Al-Qaeda, and whatnot. The second day of the patrol we were bedded down in a field and in the military when when you bed down like that you always set security watches we were lucky enough to be mounted so we had four MRAPs that we call cougars two were mounted with m250 cal belt-fed machine guns and two were mounted with the uh, 240 bravo weapon system i guess it was probably about three o'clock in the morning i was i was on watch it was my watch i had the 12 to 4 watch i guess it was it might have been a little earlier than three, but I noticed movement out of the corner of my eye. Now, when we're staying watches like that at night, we're always using night vision. So your field of vision is limited through those night vision goggles anyway. I caught a glimpse of movement out of the corner of my eye, and I, I turned to look, and I caught a, uh, I caught sight of, Jerry, I don't know what to call it. I mean, I, I don't, uh, you know, I don't. I'm still not really sure what I saw, to be honest with you. I do know that it was very big. It moved very fast. And in the span of 100 yards, it was running upright on two legs. And every now and again, it dropped down and take two or three bounds on all fours. And then it popped back up to two legs. But it came from a clot, which is a, like a little mud hut type of house that they have over there. And it came from the backside of that clot and ran straight into a grove of trees that was probably 150 meters away from it. That was the only time I saw that, whatever it was, that night. Actually, that's that's the only time I saw it during that deployment. A couple of weeks after that, I actually got in, injured in a uh, IED hit on our truck, and I got medevac out of country back to the United States. But the sight of whatever that was was creepy enough. The sound that we heard about 30 to 45 minutes, roughly, after it disappeared into that grove of trees i don't even know how to begin to explain that to you it was like a scream slash roar slash howl i mean think of the cheesiest werewolf movie you can think of and then think of the sound that the protagonist makes you know when they're changing from human to werewolf form you know the antagonist not the protagonist but myself and all three of the other soldiers that were on watch that night in their respective vehicles all heard that Later, when I questioned those guys about, you know, did you see it? Did you see it? Did you see it? Nobody had seen anything. Apparently, I was the only one that had seen it. But we all four agreed that whatever we heard was not natural. I grew up in South Georgia. You know, I grew up hunting. I grew up fishing, being out in the woods, camping. You know, I've heard foxes, which have, you know, what, upwards of 20 vocalizations that they can do. You know, I've heard coyotes. I've heard bear. This, whatever it was in Afghanistan, it sounded like nothing I have ever heard before in my life. And it, it honestly doesn't surprise me that if I was going to have an encounter, it was going to be someplace like Afghanistan. <laughs> you know, as, I, as, 
as I told you in my email, uh, that that place is ancient. I mean, it predates civilization. You know, a lot of people call it the cradle of civilization or, you know, the, the bassinet of, of humankind. There are things and stories that I've, I've researched since this encounter that have made my skin crawl. You know, everything from giant red-haired giants to demons in caves to, you know, vampires. I mean, there's all kinds of stories that come out of the Middle East and, and Afghanistan and Pakistan in particular. But that was pretty much it as far as my encounter goes. Needless to say, I'm no longer a skeptic. Have you done any research since then to kind of find out what you what it is you that you saw, or did you, how much asking around did you do of natives to try to see if it was something other people had seen as well? I've done quite a bit of research as far as stories of strange beasts and unknown cryptids out of that region. I mean, there's there's a lot of different stories, you know, and there's a lot of different schools of thought as far as what that creature or what that animal could have been. The locals, and this was really kind of creepy in and of itself, Jerry. The locals, whenever I asked our translators to, you know, ask some of the locals, what could this have been? Have you seen anything like this? A lot of the locals got very tight-lipped, if not scared, to even talk about it. So in that respect, I never got a clear answer. I did read a, a report on a website about a unit of soldiers, American soldiers, in Afghanistan, and I believe it was 2006, 2007, that they were actually tasked by their task force commanders to investigate the disappearance of some of the locals in the villages near where their base was. And uh, again, this was a report that I read. It, I was not there at this time. But the report had said that in several of the villages, they found giant claw marks or scratch marks on doors and, you know, embedded in the mud walls of the, of the huts. They found houses where 48 hours before a family of four had been seen. But when the soldiers got there and they breached the door and went in to investigate, nothing. You know, that there was nobody to be seen. The house was destroyed, furniture overturned, blood splattered on the walls, but there was no bodies to be found. I mean, in, in that respect, I guess I can count myself lucky that I was in an up-armored vehicle when this thing decided to show itself to me. You know, it's, it's really easy to feel brave when you're behind the trigger, trigger guard of a 50 cal machine gun, you know? Yeah, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> <laughs> Can't say that I've ever done it myself, but I can only imagine. Right. You know, now there, there are, and I can't, uh, I, I wish I would have had better notes uh, prior to this, but I did read a blog that said something about the, like Native Americans here in the United States, most Native American tribes have a legend of some sort of shapeshifter in their lore. Mm -hmm. Well, the the tribes in Afghanistan, they're no different, the no, especially the nomads. Um, in Afghanistan, you know, you, you do have some, quote unquote, urban areas. Uh, I, I use that term very loosely <laughs> uh, because 90% of the buildings in that country are built out of mud. But, you know, you do have some urban areas like, you know, the city of Ghazni, uh, this, you know, Helmand province. You know, you do have more urbanized areas as far as as far as city structure city infrastructure goes but most of the rural areas are just that they're they're rural you know it's one or two houses and and they can be separated by miles and then 
you have a third class that are the nomads. And these nomads, these are the ones that you see on the movies riding camels, riding horses. They're literally nomads. They set up shot, you know, they set up tents, they set up their little makeshift tent villages, feed off the land, you know, live off the land. When they deplete the resources or when they decide they want to move on, they just pack up shop and they move on. And they will literally do this overnight. But a lot of those Bedouins, for lack of a better term, they have strong beliefs in the supernatural and in magic and, dare I say, witchcraft. They absolutely believe in shapeshifters or transconfiguration of the human body into an animal form. I mean, they have a lot of legends and myths that go along with that. What about wild animals? You were talking about the village that had people missing. What kind of wild animals do they have over there that could do something like that as far as making scratches on doors and stuff like that? Well, according to that report that I read, they said that those scratches could not, uh, if those scratches were made by some sort of, of canine or some sort of wolf, standing on its hind legs to scratch the door, it would have to have been seven feet tall. But as far as native wildlife to Afghanistan, uh, we actually uh, went through a course before we even got deployed that told us that there's different types of snakes and whatnot that are there. Most of the animals in Afghanistan are what you would find in a desert out here. You do have many, many different varieties of poisonous snakes to include cobras and you have you know large spiders. But honestly, the largest mammals that you have out there are camels. And while most camels that I've met ha- absolutely have an attitude, I don't think any of them would you know, be willing to eat you. <laughs> there are rumors of northern Afghanistan, you know, the mountains bordering with, you know, Pakistan and, and uh, uh, Turkey and all that. I mean, there are rumors that there are wolves and packs of wolves that roam those mountains. We were largely in the foothills of those mountains. We were not up in the Hindu Kush, which is the main mountain range that runs through Afghanistan is the Hindu Kush mountains. We were not in those mountains per se. We, we did have a couple of patrol zones at some of the lower elevations, but we did not go up into the mountain. My unit didn't anyway. We were more in the flatlands, the desert, uh, and areas like that. I'll be honest with you, I, I didn't hear of, nor did I see anything that could even remotely be mistaken for what I saw that night. Well, brother, better you than me. That's all I can say. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll be honest with you, man. I mean, it, it, it terrified me. I'm not scared of a lot as far as outdoors, you know, as far as native flora or fauna of anywhere that I've been. I, you know, I, I don't get scared of wildlife or stuff like that. You know, I've been, like I said, I grew up in South Georgia. I'm used to wildlife. I'm used to being in the woods. I love being in the woods. But even to this day, I'm still very, very nervous about being in the woods at night. I, and, and I do not tent camp anymore. <laughs> I, refuse to, I refuse to camp in a tent. If I don't have a solid wall between me and whatever's outside at night, it's, it's, a, uh, it's a no-go for me. Well, I can definitely understand that. Pete, thanks for coming on and sharing your story. I know it's kind of tough. I know you've talked about, you know, you're, you haven't really told the story a whole lot because of ridicule and stuff like that, but you felt like this was a safe place, and we appreciate the fact that you can you felt that way. Absolutely. Well, I appreciate you having me on, and uh, uh, thank you guys so much for everything you guys do and for the support that you give to our military and our, our public safety uh, personnel as well. It's uh, 
it, it, it means more than you know, man. It's the very least we could do. You guys are out there on the front line protecting us so we can sit at home and tell ghost stories on a podcast. So, I mean, it's <laughs> we, we don't get to do what we do without the freedom in this country that, that you guys and, and women out there uh, provide to us. Well, we do appreciate it. Well, thank you, sir, and I'm sure I'll be talking to you soon. All right. Thanks, Jerry. I just never really thought about all those different types of stories and stuff that would come out of Afghanistan. You know, it's true. And first of all, I want to say thank you for your service. Um, second of all, I know it's got to be scary as hell over there anyway. And then to have to observe these things on top of all that, I just can't even imagine. Yeah, it's pretty messed up. So anyways, thanks for your service, as, as she said, Pete. And thank you for sharing your story with us. And we'll yes, be talking to you, you soon. Honey. Take care. All right, guys. Talk to you next week. Bye, guys.